Welcome to the America's Workforce Radio Podcast, the flagship production of the American Workers Radio and Podcast Network, where organized labor and its never-ending fight to protect the rights of the American worker come first. Now, presented by LIUNA, Laborers International Union of North America, here's your host, Ed Flash Ferens. The largest public university system in the country could be on strike this month. And we could see a strike in Las Vegas just in time for the Super Bowl. Today on the show, the IBEW in Steubenville, Ohio, and Ohio Senator Sherrod Brown will be joining us. Welcome to the Thursday, January 11th edition of America's Workforce, where we are available on at least five platforms, including... Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, iHeartRadio, Spotify, and Pandora. Kevin Brown is going to be our first guest on the show today. He is the president and secretary treasurer of IBEW Local 246. Website real simple, IBEW246.com. And they are located in Steubenville, Ohio. And uh, they have a storied history. They were born and received their official charter on April 4th. 1902, so that makes them 122 years young. The local represents about 260 active members, all performing work in the industrial, commercial, residential, and teledata fields in six eastern Ohio counties. And uh, Kevin told me yesterday, we got a lot of work going on here. We could use uh, some more apprentices. We'll talk about the apprenticeship program We'll talk about battery storage, gas and oil, pretty much heavy industrial. That's uh, that's where they're uh, concentrated in. Kevin, by the way, is a third generation member of the IBEW, very powerful union and a very bright future, no pun intended, for many members of the IBEW, especially with uh, all the energy projects that are going on right now and the electrifying of America. So he's going to be our first guest later in the show. We're going to hear from Senator Sherrod Brown. By the way, and he's going to talk in detail about this, Senator Brown is one of 33 senators who last week sent a letter to 13 non-unionized automakers urging them to not illegally block the UAW's unionization efforts at their manufacturing plants. After the ratification of the historic agreements between the union and the big three, thousands, thousands of non-union auto workers are publicly organizing to join the UAW. In fact, there's a drive going on right now. More than 1,000 workers have signed up to unionize at Probably the top U.S. Volkswagen plant in the country. It's uh, located in Chattanooga, Tennessee. And uh, this is a plant that you may recall it was 10 years ago when VW came to the United States and they chose Chattanooga. They wanted what they call a workers' council, which is very popular in Germany, where the company is based. And they say, well, we want representatives, the workers' representatives, more or less a union. <laughs> well, boy, did that blow up. Tennessee, which is a right-to-work state, and right-to-work is enshrined in their constitution now. Thank you, Mr. and Mrs. Politician down there. But bottom line is, 
workers are saying, you know what, we, we got to do better here. And just recently, the UAW announced that over 30% of the plant's workforce had signed in the first week alone. And that's expanding. But getting back to Sherrod Brown, um, there's a number of senators, too, that uh, signed the letter. And that includes Gary Peters and Debbie Stabenow, both out of Michigan. Bernie Sanders, of course. Bob Casey in Pennsylvania. Ed Markey in Massachusetts. Tammy Baldwin in Wisconsin. And uh, we're going to read a big chunk of the letter later in the show. And the UAW, obviously, is standing, standing tall and very proud for what they're trying to do here, because we need to get everybody on board on this. And the bottom line is this. The letter essentially says, stay neutral. Stay neutral. You don't have to fight this. If the workers want a union, stay neutral. That's all we're asking. If they don't want a union, okay. That's all. A couple other UAW stories here. Workers at the uh, Mercedes-Benz plant. This is outside Tuscaloosa, Alabama. They went public. This week with their campaign to join the UAW and uh, what may be the first big strike, actually a couple of them. I'll get to what's happening in California in a minute here. Local uh, 933 members. This is an Allison transmission in Indianapolis, Indiana. They are are ready to walk out. We're talking about 1,500 workers who authorized a strike in October. And they are prepared to walk off the job at any moment. In fact, they put together a video stand up at Allison Transmission, which we're going to play later in the show. So lots to talk about with Sherrod Brown about the UAW. Also in the conversation, he is among a number of senators not happy about the U.S. Steel merger with Nippon Steel in Japan. And the big issue here along with J.D. Vance, so we're getting bipartisan support on this. This is not good for national security. U.S. Steel, a giant for many, many years. And now Japan has taken them over, and they do not have a good record when it comes to unions and collective bargaining. So we'll touch on that as well with uh, Senator Sherrod Brown. Now a brief look into the world of labor. This segment brought to you by Boyd Watterson Asset Management. You can find more at boydwatterson.com. Faculty at California State University, which, by the way, is the largest public university system in the country, could stage a system-wide strike later this month after school officials ended contract talks Tuesday with a unilateral offer of a 5% pay raise, which is way below what the union wants. Professors, librarians, coaches, and other members of the California Faculty Association, the CFA, staged a series of one-day walkouts across four campuses last month to demand higher pay, more manageable workloads, and an increase in parental leave. The union, which represents roughly 29,000 workers across Cal State's 23 campuses, they are seeking a 12% pay raise. In offering just 5%, University officials said the union's salary demands were not financially viable and would result in layoffs. Leora Friedman, vice chair for human resources, said in a statement, with this action, we will ensure that well-deserved raises get to our faculty members as soon as possible. We have been in the bargaining process for eight months, and the CFA has shown no movement, leaving us no other option. 
So they're playing pretty tough right now. The union's bargaining team reserved four days for talks this week, making every effort to bargain in good faith and explore the space for a negotiated solution before a system-wide strike. Right now, they are looking at January 22nd, 23rd, 24th, 25th, and 26th. That's, that's the time they want to strike. CFA members delivered four proposals on Monday, but were met with disrespect from management today. That was uh, posted in a union statement on Tuesday. After 20 minutes, management bargaining team threatened system-wide layoffs, walked out of bargaining, canceled all remaining talks, and then imposed a last best and final offer. Now, if this happens, the system-wide strike would be held at all 23 campuses for one week, as I mentioned. Cal State said it respects the rights of the union to engage in strike activity, and they're taking this seriously. They also say that all campuses would remain open during a strike and have contingency plans in place to maintain university operations. Our hope is to minimize any disruptions and that the strike pose no hardship on our students. Now, mind you, one-day strikes were held in December at California State Polytechnic University, that's in Pomona, San Francisco State, California State University, Los Angeles, and California State University, Sacramento. In addition to pay raises, the union is pushing for an increase in parental leave from six weeks to a full semester. Also, better access to breastfeeding stations and more gender-inclusive restrooms. The chancellor's office said last month that the pay increase the union is seeking would cost the system $380 million in new spending, which they cannot afford. Now, the Teamsters, this would be Local 2010, which represents plumbers, electricians, and maintenance workers employed by the university system, they held a one-day strike in November to fight for better pay. And in October, student workers across the university system's campuses became eligible to vote to form a union. So there's a lot going on here. There's a lot going on at uh, Cal State and their uh, 23 campuses. We'll keep you posted on that one. Meantime, unions representing Las Vegas hospitality workers have announced that they plan to go on strike February 2nd unless contract agreements are reached before then. The culinary and bartenders unions are in ongoing contract negotiations with 21 hotels and casinos in Las Vegas. The unions are demanding higher pay, improved safety measures, protections against technology, among other benefits. Now, if that strike occurs as scheduled... It would arrive just days before Las Vegas hosts its first Super Bowl, which is on February 11th. How about that one? The strike announcement follows recent victories by both unions. Last November, the Culinary Union reached a historic contract with MGM Resorts International, Caesars, and Wynn Las Vegas, which included 32% salary increases. Can I repeat that? 32% salary increases. Nice union there, huh? And just last month, 
via culinary and bartenders unions, won new contracts with Tropicana, Las Vegas, as well as the Mirage. And uh, one more here. The Screen Actors Guild, which is my union, they merged with uh, after about 12 years ago, representing right now 160,000 film and TV actors, has entered into an agreement that mandates permissions and guaranteed minimum payments whenever members' voices are digitally reproduced in video games and other media. This is groundbreaking. The union's executive director announced the agreement with Replica Studios just two days ago. This agreement, which is the first of its kind, represents an important deal for the Guild, as the use of artificial intelligence was a pivotal issue during strikes by writers and actors last year. You're going to hear a whole lot more about uh, artificial intelligence going forward. In fact, coming up uh, next week, we are going to speak with uh, Ro Khanna. Ro is a representative out of California's 17th District which is Silicon Valley. And um, he is among many in Congress considering some type of regulation for artificial intelligence, much like the Food and Drug Administration. And I'll tell you, we're going to need something because this could be a runaway freight train here. But that, that'll be next Tuesday. Right now, though, i got to take a break. When we come back, we're going to check in with the IBEW in Steubenville, Ohio. This is America's Workforce. It takes Lyuna to build North America's infrastructure. From roads and bridges to schools and skyscrapers, the men and women of Lyuna, the Laborers International Union of North America, build the projects we depend on. From constructing the Freedom Tower on the site of the former World Trade Center to untangling Washington, D.C.'s congested interstate, Lyuna members do the work that matters. Find out what it takes to be built by Lyuna at Lyuna.org. That's L-I-U-N-A dot org. The Ironworkers Great Lakes District Council, consisting of eight ironworker local unions in West Virginia, Pennsylvania, Ohio, and Michigan. We build the skylines and bridges along the Great Lakes. With more work than ever before, the Great Lakes District Council is actively searching out the next great ironworker. Whether it's building the next Intel plant or constructing a bridge to safely connect our great cities along the lake. So join the Ironworkers Great Lakes District Council today. Find out how and learn more about the council by visiting IWDistrictCouncil.com. Union members need to be heard. Reliable and convenient union voting has never been more important than it is now. Make voting easy for your membership by working with survey and ballot systems. SBS offers encrypted and monitored solutions that ensure your elections are accurate and accessible for every member through mail-in, online, and in-person voting. Visit surveyandballotsystems.com and take the next step in getting secure and auditable elections. America's Workforce is brought to you in part by the Communication Workers of America. You can find more at cwa-union.org. America's Workforce is sponsored in part by Boyd Watterson Asset Management, LLC. Find out more about our investment solutions tailored to meet the needs of Taft-Hartley funds at voidwaterson.com. America's Workforce is brought to you in part by the United Auto Workers. Find more at uaw.org. Now, back to America's Workforce. 
Here's Ed Flash Ferens. And remember, you can check us out on Facebook or follow us on X, formerly known as Twitter. That would be AWF Union Podcast. By the way, this next segment brought to you in part by the Ohio Federation of Teachers. You can find more at oh.aft.org. Melissa Cropper, president of the OFT, will be joining us next Tuesday on the show. Right now, let's go to Steubenville, Ohio. And joining us on line number one is Mr. Kevin Brown, who is the leader of IBEW 246 in Steubenville, Ohio, IBEW246.com. And Kevin, when I say leader, okay, business manager, president, organizer, I'm seeing all kind of titles. What What is your official title at 246, uh, brother? Uh, right now, I am the business manager and the financial secretary of our local business manager and financial secretary. And how That's long correct. have you had that position? Uh, Jan- or, uh, December 1st, actually, is whenever I took over. Oh, okay. Okay, so you're just starting off on that. Well, let's. Yes. Uh, every time every time I bring somebody new to the show, I like to get a little insight on their background, how they got involved in the trades. And I know we need more and more people to get involved in the trades because there's a whole lot of work out there. And we always say this, you know this, it's the pathway to the middle class. Yeah, you want you want to make some good money, good pensions, great benefits? Well, the trades are the way. So uh, are you, uh, I understand, I guess, what was your grandpa, your father, all involved in the IBEW? Talk to me about that. Yeah, pretty much uh, everybody, everybody in my, uh, my father's side of the family was involved with Local 246. Uh, my grandfather was the business manager. Back in the uh, '60s, um, fathers he was he got in late '70s, retired in 2019. Uh, I started out as an apprentice right after I graduated high school in uh, 2011. Um, all of my uncles were members of Local 246. Uh, so they're kind of a family. A lot of a uh, lot of generations coming through our local with uh, grandfathers fathers, sons, and it's still kind of, still kind of going that route today. Yeah. Well, when you were growing up, did dad tell you, okay, Kevin, um, what are you going to do here? Yeah. You know, we got a history here with the electrical workers union. It might be a good idea that he, did he kind of encourage you to go in that route or did he kind of leave it open to you? Uh, He left it open for the most part, uh, pretty much until my senior year. And, uh, he started kind of hinting around asking what I was going to do after school. And obviously I was throwing college out there and, uh, he kind of, he kind of made the hint that, uh, I'm, I'm pretty handy, pretty good at working on things and was never really big on, uh, never really big on bringing home books and studying. I mean, the, the normal school system didn't really interest me that much. I was more mechanically inclined than anything. And honestly, I really didn't know, I mean, I knew I knew about the IBW, obviously, but I didn't really know how big and the how big it is, and all the about all the other trades and just the opportunities that could bring you. And I uh, ended up getting into the apprenticeship, and I said never, never look back after that. Now, take me back to that time. The apprenticeship program was it was it uh, difficult for you? Did you adapt to it right away? Can you can you give us some details on that? Yeah, it's a. I know every local kind of has a different system. Um, our system is uh, two nights a week. Um, you go to school from seven p.m. to around nine thirty, ten ish. Um, it's right behind our union hall in downtown Steubenville. Uh, like I said, we're a smaller local, so we had a class of about twelve fifteen. Um, no, it's it's a lot different. I mean, because it's definitely it's it's school. I mean, we get a we get an associate's degree out of our um, 
out of our program by the end of our five years. And it's the math that you can relate to what you're putting in day to day. So it's, uh-huh. it's a lot. I feel like a lot of people who in high school, they didn't really find the interest in geometry or algebra or whatever, whatever it may be. They can now find an interest in it within the apprenticeship because it actually correlates to what they're doing day to day. makes them better at their job, more proficient. I mean, obviously everybody wants to excel to the highest level at their, at their job. So you can actually see on paper where it can benefit you out in the field. It's funny you bring that up because it just takes me back to high school and, and math is, boy, it, it's a struggle for so many, so many students. So, so when you were in, in high school, I mean, how, how challenging was that for you? And then you, you kind of touched on this. Maybe you can elaborate it on a little bit more here, because obviously when you saw some light at the end of the tunnel, you saw a pretty good career. Maybe you should focus on that math and that geometry a little bit more. <laughs> Can you elaborate on that? Yeah, I think it's just one of those things where, at least with me, I mean, I know everyone's kind of wired differently, but uh, with me, whenever I was in high school, I, I couldn't really relate to what I was going to be using this algebra or this geometry for later in life. Like, obviously, basic math is going to be an everyday thing, but, I mean, the geometry with the angles and then that kind of, once you get into the apprenticeship and you realize that all bending conduit, bending or uh, fabricating cable tray, I mean, that all has to do with geometry and getting the, getting the specific angle that you need to get the correct offset. And you can, you can really put on paper what you're trying to do out in the field. And that really, like, at least people would like me, I'm a visual mm-hmm. learner, I guess you would say. And, uh, maybe I would have learned a little bit better whenever I was in high school, if I could have seen it a different way instead of just on paper, but the apprenticeship definitely brought out, um, and I think it does with a lot of people brings out what you are needing those specific, the specific math classes or whatever it may be, because you're doing it daily. You, you mentioned that you're, uh, you're kind of mechanically inclined. It sounds like you were a tinker when, when you were a kid, uh, what, what kind of things did you do? What were you interested in? It was honestly just a little bit of everything. I was always, any chance I got, uh, my dad was busy with work and he kind of, uh, he kind of told me like, Hey, here's the garage. He, he taught me basic hand tools whenever I was a younger kid. And if I want to mess around, he never was, uh, he never was mad if I was down there messing up his tools, getting them, getting them lost out in the yard, whatever. So working on bikes, skateboards, building ramps, uh, doing, doing all the things that teenage or younger, younger boys do and trying to uh, just figure out what we can, what we can make happen. And like I said, there was no, there was usually no real plan. It was just, let's get a ratchet out or a couple wrenches and tear this bike apart and see about getting it put back together or put, put parts from this bike on another bike. And I think that's the, that's really the only way to get that mechanically inclined. I think it kind of comes just from experimenting. Yeah. Yeah. Trial and error. If it doesn't work, you try it again. Exactly. Uh, if you don't mind, let, let's talk about the union. Did your dad talk to you when you were growing up about the importance of, of being in the IBEW, a powerful union like that? He, he never really, like I said, he never really pushed the IBW specifically, but like I said, he was heavily involved with the IBW. So I was always at the political rallies. I mean, and I mean, 
going out with different trades, um, different events, the Labor Day Parade. I have pictures of myself with my family and other members of the local whenever I was probably four to five years old wearing an IBEW shirt walking in the Steubenville's Labor Day Parade. Um, it was, like I said, it was always talked about because he had union meetings, executive board meetings, health and welfare meetings, and there was always phone calls, people stopping over the house, and uh, it's one. Of, it's just a tight-knit community, our local. I said we're a small local, so it's a big family, um, and he kind of, that's kind of how he showed it to me, was your, everyone's here to help one another out, and like I said, it wasn't really specifically veered towards the IBEW, but just unions in general. Mm-hmm. So you you joined um, what was it twenty eleven so what thirteen years ago when yeah. did you when did you start getting rank in the union did that happen right away uh, I was uh, so I got through my apprenticeship I topped out about twenty we're twenty six May twenty sixteen um, I went around we were kind of slow with work at the time so I kind of went around traveling uh, Buffalo New York Louisville Kentucky Portsmouth Ohio with. Uh, with three of my buddies from my apprenticeship class. And, uh, after that, we, uh, came back home to work and my dad called me and asked me to be a steward on a project and kind of told him, I didn't think I was ready for that. And he said, there's no, no really time to be ready. So he kind of threw me into it. And it's just the whole fact of being able to being able to help people when you're the steward on a job, you, it's a thankless position. You're getting complaints from, the guys you're getting complaints from the company and it's kind of how I played that game as the steward was to you're the middleman to come up with, come up with a solution to where the guys are happy and productive and the company and the customer is happy with the production that's going in. Uh And I kind of always played it. Like you take every day as every day is like a game. You see, see how far through the day you can go with, with making everything as smooth as possible. And, I said some days they're they're not smooth, but I really I really took joy in uh in the challenges of that is uh what can we make happen? How can we make this happen? How can we make everybody how can we make this good for everybody involved? Kind of like a fireman, you're always putting fires out. And when the fires you are, out, you are. It's, I mean, in yeah. some like I said, there some of them are big fires, and other ones are other ones are little ones that might just be a little little misunderstanding. There you go. Kevin Brown joining us in our live line today is business manager, financial secretary for IBEW Local 246 website, IBEW246.com. Always can use some new members. We'll talk about that, the growth of the union. Later in the show, we're going to check in with Senator Sherrod Brown, who is one of 33 senators urging the non-union auto plans to remain neutral. We'll talk about that and more back in a few minutes. You're listening to America's Workforce with Ed Flash Ferrans. It takes Lyuna to power North America with affordable energy. The men and women of Lyuna, the Laborers International Union of North America, have the skills needed to build and maintain oil, natural gas, nuclear, solar, and wind projects that are shaping America's energy future. From new energy tech to retrofitted facilities, Lyuna members do it all. Find out what it takes to be powered by Lyuna at Lyuna.org. That's L-I-U-N-A. Are you an experienced mechanical insulator looking to take your career to the next level? Insulators Local 50 in Central Ohio has steady work for a number of years. Insulators Local 50 offers a total wage and benefits package that can't be beat. 
It's not just the competitive wages. Local 50 also provides medical, vision, and dental insurance with no paycheck deductions for you and your family. Don't miss out on the chance to secure your future. Join us at Insulators Local 50. Earn great pay and the best benefits. Visit insulators50.com forward slash AWF50 to fill out the online form and a local 50 representative will call to begin the process. America's Workforce is brought to you in part by the Ironworkers. You can find more at ironworkers.org. America's Workforce appreciates our sponsor, the Columbus Central Ohio Building and Construction Trades Council, who represents more than 18,000 workers from 19 affiliated local unions and district councils. America's Workforce is brought to you in part by the United Steelworkers. You can find more at usw.org. This segment of America's Workforce is brought to you by Survey and Ballot Systems. SBS has been providing unions with secure and flexible election options for over 30 years. Visit surveyandballotsystems.com to learn more. America's Workforce is presented by the Labor's International Union of North America. Feel the power right now at liuna.org. Now, back to Ed Flash Ferrens with America's Workforce. And remember, you can check us out on at least five platforms. That includes Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, iHeartRadio, Spotify, and Pandora. And when you get an opportunity, just sign up and receive our shows on a regular basis and give us a rating. We always appreciate those five-star ratings, so please keep them coming. By the way, this next segment brought to you in part by the North Coast Labor Federation. Let's go back to our live line. Rejoin Kevin Brown, business manager, financial secretary, for IBEW Local 246, based in Steubenville. So uh, you were telling me yesterday, what, about 260 active members, Kevin? Is that uh, pretty constant? And, you know, there's a lot of organizing going on. There's a lot of work. And we can specifically talk about what your members are doing here in a minute. But uh, how are yeah, we, we looking here? Uh, we, we've, we've grown a little bit over the years. Uh, I think we were kind of steady around the 230, 240 mark. Uh, so we've kind of grown right now. Um, we try to keep all of our numbers, keep all of our numbers in check with, uh, with our manpower that is, uh, that will be retiring in the future. Try to always be training, training their replacements to keep, uh, to keep everything moving, moving smooth forward. Um, we are, there's a lot more work coming to our area. So we're like, actually, we're in the process right now of taking a new apprenticeship class. Um, we went through, I mean, we have obviously organizing is a big process of what we do. Um, we actually have a very good market share in local 246. So we, the majority of the people doing electrical work in our area are already IBEW members, whether it's in our local or one of the utility locals or AEP. Um, like I said, but we always, we always try to find a spot for somebody. I mean, we have residential program, teledata program, um, industrial program, uh, this CECW program, which is kind of veered towards somebody who might not want, might, might, might not want to be going through the apprenticeship. There's kind of, I mean, the IBW's done an awesome job of setting it up to where everybody has a way to get into the, to get into the IBW and there's a route for everybody. How are you doing with, uh, let's say, the non-union folks in the area, bringing them over to a local 246? And, and this is a two-part question here. If you do bring them over, how does that work with the apprenticeship program? Obviously, they have some skills already. Can you can you address that? Yeah, so uh, in the past, it was different, but uh, kind of with all of the work coming up to our area, 
Um, if you have a set amount of hours as a, and you can prove you have a set amount of hours working as an open shop electrician, um, you can just pretty much prove your hours and you are able to join our local as a journeyman wireman. Um, but also we have ways of somebody who might only have a year of experience or two years of experience as we have an examining board, um, which is made up of three elected officials. Um, and we'll bring in a open shop electrician. They'll come in, they'll take a hands-on test, a written test. The examining board will kind of evaluate them and uh, place them into the proper, um, proper class. So if you've got, two years of open shop experience, you might get placed into the second, third year class, bypass that first year. Um, but somebody who's got 15, whatever, whatever it may be, six, seven, 10 years experience who's been doing this, they're proficient at it. Um, they know what they're doing just because they weren't trained by us doesn't mean that they have the skills to be a journeyman wireman. And I think that that's a big, that's going to be a big step in organizing um, organizing the non-union in any local, not just ours. No one mm -hmm. wants to. No one wants to hear that they've been doing this for for twelve, fifteen, twenty years, and now they have to go back to step one. So, right. I, I'm a big fan of how they reevaluated the program, and, and that's that's happening as we speak. And you're probably going to see more of that happening because unions are pretty uh, pretty popular right now. Yes, it's already it's already in the works. The IBEW has been that the local level and the international level has been, they've been ahead of the curve. Uh, we have meetings, not even on, I mean, above my level, I'm pretty sure daily, I know weekly about manpower needs all over the, all over our jurisdiction, Ohio, West Virginia. I mean, it's, they're tracking it. They share the information from local to local. If student bills slow with work, there's work in, Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. If Pittsburgh's slow with work, we can go. Everybody can go. Columbus is pretty much taking any electrician they can possibly find and putting them out right now, just with the amount of work that they have going on. I am very well aware of that. Uh, Dorsey Hager, who we feature on the show each and every month, is 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 tearing his hair out right now because uh, they need a lot. Of, they need a lot of workers there with uh, with Intel, Amazon, Google. Are are you picking up any of that, or or some of your members going over there to pick up some of that work? Some of our members are whenever we're whenever we're slow. Um, we're not really picking up on a lot of the work from that. I, we're more of like an industrial area. Um, so we were right on the Ohio River, old steel country. Um, we had, like I said, multiple steel mills, power get or coal fire power plants. We were booming during the gas and oil era back in whatever that started probably 2013, 2014. Um, we're just kind of in a, we're set up in a good area for barge unloading, train, trucking routes, um, and we're trained to do the heavy industrial work. I mean, with a lot of our guys working in the steel mills, it's everything was rigid conduit, cable tray, I mean, big wire pulls, and uh, we're kind of getting into the green energy side of things now, um, form energy is a iron air battery plant, which uh, new technology is the first of its kind. It's a hundred hour battery life for grid storage battery that's going in our jurisdiction over in Weirton, West Virginia. 
I'm, they've got a plans. They have plans for a, a huge plant and multiple plants to follow it. So that's kind of the start of our green energy era here in Steubenville, but I'm sure there will be more to come since that started. That's interesting. Iron air batteries. So that is kind of the wave of the future. I'm also hearing about hydrogen hubs. Are you picking up some of that work as well? Uh, not yet. Um, I am actually on a hydrogen hub committee with our local building trades, um, just kind of planning for the future. I know those are kind of in the early stages right now. Um, we do have three, I believe, at least two, maybe three projected to come into our jurisdiction, which would be huge. Um, everything I'm being told, those are probably about four to five years out just with the, the sheer size of the projects and the engineering and everything that's got to go into them. But mm -hmm. I can tell that the area is preparing for it. Um, the old um, Coke battery over in Fallensby, West Virginia, they're already, I believe they're trying to set that site up for a future hydrogen hub where they're already demoing the old Coke plant. It only shut down about, I'd say, within the last three years. Um, Samus Power Plant in Stratton, Ohio, Coal Fire Power Plant, it shut down within the last year. They're already working on demoing. I know they're working on this for the future of the industry that's about to come to the area. Well, I'll tell you, it sounds like a lot of good things are happening in Steubenville, Ohio, and a lot of good things are happening for the IBEW in general, because I, I talk to a lot of folks at the trades, and it's, everybody's telling me, everybody wants to work at the IBEW. They want to become an IBEW member, and no pun intended. They say the future is bright over there, and especially you think about the batteries, you think about the, you know, well, the green energy, which you referenced here, uh, and everybody is everybody wants their devices, and we need a lot of energy, and we need the people behind that. Look at the electrical grid. That's another thing there. But uh, it's good to know what's happening, especially in a local like yours. And not a large local, 270 members, and we're talking uh, like six eastern Ohio counties, Hancock, Brook, Jefferson, Harrison, and Columbiana counties. IBEW246.com is a website. Anything here? You want to uh, leave us with, Kevin. I mean, it was a great interview. I learned a whole lot about you and the local, but uh, any parting words for our, for our listening audience? Uh, not, not, not really. Uh, like I said, we're, we're online. Our phone number is available. If there's anybody listening who's interested, who's in, um, who lives around the jurisdiction, who's interested about work, feel free to call the hall. We will uh, answer any questions we need to answer. Um, any customers, contractors out there listening who have uh, – have worked at their, their, if they're wanting to expand their markets into our jurisdiction, we are always welcoming new, obviously new customers, new contractors in. We'll work with you no matter how big you are, how small you are. We, we have the work out there for you. Well said, my man. Let's, uh, let's regroup later in the year and see how things are, are, are working out for 246. How's that sound? That sounds good to me. All right. We're going to take a quick break. That was Kevin Brown, who is the business manager, financial secretary, of IBW Local 246. We're going to take a break. When we come back, we're going to talk about the UAW and Senator Sherrod Brown will be joining us back in a few. This is America's Workforce. More shows available at awfradio.com. It takes Lyuna to keep America running. Over 70,000 public employees are part of Lyuna, the Laborers International Union of North America. 
delivering critical services such as health care and emergency response, as well as maintaining roads and sanitation systems. Even the National Postal Mail Handlers Union, representing over 47,000 U.S. postal workers, is affiliated with LIUNA. Find out what it takes for LIUNA to keep America running at LIUNA.org. That's L-I-U-N-A dot org. We're the nurses, firefighters, and claims representatives that help keep our government services running. We respond to natural disasters. We care for our nation's veterans. And we investigate discrimination in the workplace. We are federal and D.C. government workers. And we are proud to serve the American people. Working in more than 70 agencies across the government, we know we can fulfill our mission because our union has our back. Learn more at AFGE. .org. Paid for by the American Federation of Government Employees, AFL-CIO. America's Workforce is brought to you in part by the International Federation of Professional and Technical Engineers. You can find more at ifpte.org. There is unity and strength for workers. We are the USW. We are the USW. The United, United Steelworkers. Steel the largest industrial union in North America. We represent 850,000 members in, in the, the US, US, Canada, and, and the, the Caribbean. Caribbean. We work in metals, rubber, chemicals, paper, oil refining, atomic energy, and the service sector. We are steelworkers. Standing strong and fighting for what's right. America's Workforce is brought to you in part by the International Brotherhood of Teamsters, where you can find more at teamster.org. America's Workforce Radio is sponsored in part by the International Union of Painters and Allied Trades, District Council 6, representing painters, glazers, drywall finishers, and sign and display industry workers. They remind you that belonging to a union is your right as an American. America's Workforce is brought to you in part by the Heat and Frost Insulators Labor Management Cooperative. Trust. Find out more at insulators.org forward slash LMCT. Now, back to America's Workforce. Here's Ed Flash Ferens. And don't forget, you can check us out on Facebook or follow us on X, formerly known as Twitter. That would be AWF Union Podcast. By the way, this next segment brought to you in part by the United Labor Agency, ulagency.org is their website. We're in a holding pattern here for Senator Sherrod Brown. He should be calling us from Washington. I mentioned at the top of the show that he is one of 33 senators who sent a letter to the 13 non-unionized automakers urging them to not illegally block the UAW's unionization efforts at their manufacturing plants. We're talking, let's see here, Tesla, Rivian, Lucid, BMW, Honda, Hyundai, Mazda, Mercedes, Nissan, Subaru, Toyota, Volkswagen, and Volvo. I mentioned at the beginning of the show, there's about 30% of the workers at the Volkswagen plant in Chattanooga that have signed union authorization cards. Now, let me read part of the letter here before the senator calls us. We applaud the UAW's historic agreements with GM, Ford, and Stellantis, the big three, which are a testament to how powerful workers are when they come together to collectively bargain. Many workers had concerns that the transition to electric vehicles would translate to fewer jobs, plant closures, or lower pay. However, the UAW's securing of a just transition ensures workers at electric vehicle battery plants can earn the same high wages other UAW members earn. 
It further demonstrates that the electric vehicle transition can and must create good-paying jobs. It is time now for non-union automakers across the United States to demonstrate that same commitment by pledging not to interfere in any organizing activities occurring at its plants through the implementation of neutrality agreements. So basically, that's all we want. We want the automakers, the non-union automakers, to remain neutral. That's basically what it says in this letter. I believe we have Senator Sherrod Brown from Washington on line number two right now. And Senator, welcome back to America's Workforce. Thanks for joining us. And I was reading about the uh, fact that you are among 33 senators that uh, authored a letter to the non-union auto plants, most of them in the South, to at least remain neutral. The UAW obviously had a very good year last year with the big three, and they want to organize those plants. Can you uh, share some details on that letter? Go ahead. Yeah, yeah the most the most um, interesting or telling part is as soon as that strike was, uh, as soon as they were back at, the, um, back at work when the strike was resolved and the UAW members did well, a uh, bunch of um, companies, a bunch of these foreign automakers uh, in the South uh, significantly raised their workers' pay. They want to keep the union out. I, I'm not saying that these companies should say, hey, union, come in. I'm saying they should remain neutral. And I, I led this letter because, to me, you carry a union card, you have a better standard of living. My my wife will say that she's still alive today because her dad, uh, electric, uh, utility workers union uh, in Ashtabula, he worked at the power plant there. Uh, she had a t- terrible health care issue. And they got her in an ambulance to from Ashtabula to the Cleveland Clinic and saved her life. And carrying a union card is that. It's having more power over your schedule. It's better wages. It's better benefits. It's often a retirement. Uh, and anything I've spent much of my career, how do we get more people to belong, to, to give, get the chance to belong to unions? You, you change the law so the government at worst should remain neutral. Uh, you push the companies to remain neutral and let the voters, let the workers decide. It's a democracy. And for many companies, it's not. And that's what's wrong about it. So this letter went to uh, 13 non-union plants. We're talking Honda, Tesla, Hyundai, Rivian. That's a new one on the block. Has there been any response to this letter since it was sent last week? Uh, no, I, it, it was sent recently. I don't criticize the automakers for that, but I want a response. We all want a response. And, uh, you know, and my colleagues will generally look to me on this because I've led the charge for uh, unionization and to treat to, to dignity of work and all the things we should do. Um, we will follow up with phone calls to them if they don't answer. Again, we're I, I, in a committee. I chair the Banking, Housing, and Urban Affairs Committee. We had one of the nation's largest banks. We had several of the CEOs, pretty much all the CEOs testify. We do that once a week, once a, once a year, bring them in, hold them responsible. One of them is there's a union um, attempt of an organizing drive at one of these banks and I asked him about it. I asked him to remain neutral, and he said no. So um, it's it's going to be a fight. It always is. I mean, read history. Look at any of these, um, even those companies that are unionized now and have you know decent labor management relations. It's it's never been easy. But we know the difference it makes in people's standard of living. We know that it's proven. It's factual. Uh, the more companies that are unionized, the better our economy. The better our country. The more prosperous our communities. You ever realize, Senator, how many union members there would be in the country today if more companies remained neutral in, in talks like that? Oh. Oh, 
about millions. I, I don't know. I can't. I don't know if you can figure a number out, but millions. And you know, there's there's drives all over the place. There's Starbucks where you know they'll never have UAW wages, of course. But you work at Starbucks, you should have work, and you should make a decent way. You know, they, these companies like that have so much turnover. Part of the reason they have turnover is there's not much future there. There's there's rarely good healthcare. There's rarely any kind of control over your schedule. Uh, and you know, these companies. And, and, you know, and look what look what happened when we saved the pensions of a hundred thousand union workers in Ohio. It made all the difference in the world. People in this country that aren't in unions don't understand collective bargaining. You go to the bargaining table as a unit, as a group, with the power of thousands behind you. You you organ you you bargain. You often give up money at the bargaining table today in order to get a pension later. Uh, and it's it's giving people opportunities. One of the things we're doing uh, is we know we're going to need lots more people in the building trades because of the infrastructure bill, because of Intel and Central Ohio and all the jobs that will flow all over the state, including the greater Cleveland, where you are and where I live. And, uh, you know, they, we, we know there are going to be more people in the trades. We want the trades to attract more young women and more young people of color. We're seeing that happen. I'm working with the trades around the state to help that happen, to get people more opportunity because you, you you get a union card at the age of 25 and go through an apprentice program you're making at the end of that five-year apprentice program you're making uh as much as $28 and maybe $30 an hour with benefits, uh, and you don't have stu- you don't have college debt. So it's a it's a wonderful opportunity for people that want to do that. Just like going to college is right for some other people, and we've got to give people those opportunities and in much more diverse group of people than we have in the past. Senator, I know we're short on time, but you mentioned the the Infrastructure and Jobs Act, and what what comes to mind is steel. We need American steel there. You have to be concerned about this merger with U.S. Steel and Nippon Steel. I mean, a Japanese company? Come on now. What what do you think is going to happen here? I don't know what's going to happen. I think it's probably like not likely we can block it uh, the president i know is engaged president biden's trying to help he's the you know he is um to, to block this deal i'm not sure i'm not a lawyer i'm not sure legally how we can do it um but we're going to try and the union as opposed to if the union wants the which i did too um wanted the deal to be u.s steel bought by cleveland cliffs a great company in northeast ohio with a ceo that's pro-union and um, lots of things are happening there that are good. They make the cleanest steel in the world uh, in terms of climate change. So um, I'm very disappointed. Um, I understand Nippon came in with a whole lot of money to make this deal, and U.S. Steel, I don't think, represented American national interests. They represented the, the interests of their biggest stockholders and, and their CEO. I guess that's capitalism, but it doesn't always work for American workers. Nope, not at all. Senator, thank you so much. You keep up the fight, okay? Of course. We'll do it again. Thanks. Thanks, Slash. See you, buddy. Boy, I tell you, all workers should be so thankful for Senator Sherrod Brown standing up for workers day in and day out. We have more news on the UAW workers at the Mercedes-Benz plant. This is outside Tuscaloosa, Alabama. They went public this week with their campaign to join the UAW. Over 30% of the plant's workforce have signed union authorization cards, which is a major milestone on their path to form a union with the UAW. The launch at Mercedes in Alabama comes just a month after Volkswagen workers at Chattanooga, Tennessee, reached the 30% threshold and went public with their drive. And it comes just six weeks after non-union auto workers across the nation started organizing to join the UAW. 
in the past, people didn't know if we had a pathway forward here, said Jeremy Kimbrell, a measurement machine operator who worked at Mercedes since 1999. Now everybody's coming together, everybody, and seeing what the pathway is, and it's through a union. When we get our union in here, I think people will once again look at Mercedes and say, it's not just another job, it's a career. By the way, there's a new video released by the UAW. This would be local 933. They are members at the Allison Transmission Plant in Indianapolis, Indiana, and they are speaking out about why they are ready to strike. This could be a pretty big strike here. For as long as it takes, they say, to win an equitable contract. Let's listen here on America's Workforce. The current six-year contract ended on November 14th at midnight. We got an extension, two-week extension, then a 30-day extension. A lot of my coworkers and union sisters and brothers are not happy with this contract. The company came up with a tentative agreement. They thought that we were going to strike a few weeks ago. The company's proposal was a slap in the face. I just don't understand how anybody can stand for that. They don't respect us, and they don't care about meeting us halfway. The company has taken a position. If you don't like it, we'll get the next person up. We've given them record profits. We've done everything they've asked us to do. We have to stand up. We just can't take it anymore. People want change. And we need to stand up. We're ready to do whatever we got to do. Does anybody want to strike? No, no, we don't want to strike. I mean, what we want is a reasonable, fair contract, but to get that better contract, are we willing to go out on strike and take a stance? Yeah. And I think everybody would be more than happy to walk out the door and say, hey, we just deserve better. It would be hard on all of us, maybe more so than what people realize, but I believe that we're all in this. We will stick together. They feel like if this is what we need to do to show the company we're worth a little more than what they think we are, I'm ready and I, I believe my coworkers are ready. If we don't stand up for one other and go to strike and fight for what we deserve, it's not going to happen. Our strength is in our numbers and us sticking together. And we'll back each other up and stand shoulder to shoulder. Once again, that's a video, and you can see that video on the UAW website, uaw.org. Stand up at Allison Transmission. Do check that out. All right, that'll be it for another edition of America's Workforce. Coming up tomorrow, SEIU32BJ and labor lawyer Joyce Goldstein. Until then, all of you have a safe and wonderful day. That concludes another episode of the America's Workforce radio podcast. Thanks for listening. And be sure to subscribe so you never miss a show. America's Workforce is a production of Labor Tools and BMA Media Group. Find out more information online at labortools.com.